Hello and welcome to episode 37 of The Power of X. I'm your host, Scott Jenkins. With me is Sylvia Wasner. Hello, Sylvie. Hello. And also hello to you, Brendan Curtin. Hello, everyone. How are we going today? I'm, um, yeah, going pretty good. Uh, it's apparently it's a bit cold where both of you are. Cold and rainy. Yeah, it's bloody freezing. Yeah. Not so rainy here where I am in Sydney, um, which is just a nice change considering that that's all we've kind of had for the past two, three months. Um, it's actually nice to get out and mow the lawn because I'm at that age now where I care about the lawn. I still remember the previous place I lived before here. I ended up, it was on a hill and I hated mowing. Oh, yeah. Oh, because you would have been pushing that hill, yeah, quite literally. <laughs> Yeah, I had I, I ended up getting one of those mowers that's sort of like self-powered. You put a little like little lever and it powers itself up. Oh yeah, yep. Still didn't help. Uh, not too cold where I am at the moment. It's a little bit overcast, but alrighty. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some Xbox stuff today. So let's go ahead and get on with the news. First bit of news um, from Xbox, from Microsoft themselves, Discord, the popular voice chatting app, is finally coming to the Xbox natively. Uh, from the Xbox, um, from the Xbox website themselves, get ready to connect with your Discord friends and communities on Xbox. Discord voice chat is coming to your Xbox Series X and S and Xbox One consoles. You'll be able to chat with anyone on Discord via voice channels or group calls directly on your for your console, making it easy to connect with friends across mobile, Xbox, and PC. The update will start rolling into Xbox Insiders today and will be available soon for everyone. So how do we feel all about this? I'm very happy with it. I mean, with the, the Xbox wireless headset, it connects to the Xbox and your phone. So I was just using that for Discord. Yeah, same. And now I don't need that. So I, I, it's not a huge difference, but it's still a welcome one. And a little bit of uh, Xbox news. Um, yeah, we had the E3 um, actually probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, any thoughts on, on those from, from you two? That uh, didn't see too much in, into it for me. Yeah, I know for me, like I, I, I caught up on it later. Like I'm not waking up. Like I, I get up early as anyway. I'm not waking up even earlier to watch video game stuff anymore like even with nintendo directs i don't get up early for that anymore i'll just watch it the next day whenever i want um so i was catching up on the news the next day and there was a couple of cool things that got announced um uh but like overall yeah i don't know i don't know if it's because it's not wasn't a full-on e3 thing this year um or i'm just don't have the enthusiasm anymore for all the big events and stuff but yeah like like I said, some cool things. Um, I, I kind of like the look at Starfield. I don't know if everyone is keen for it or not, but that looked interesting to me. Um, there's a few games here and there that look pretty cool, but like it's still going to be so far away for a lot of this stuff that it's it's hard to get excited for it. Um, like gone are the days where um, you know you'd read a game preview in a game magazine and then you wouldn't hear about anything for months, so you'd forget about it until it actually came out. You know. Probably one of the biggest interesting pieces that is that Persona is actually coming to Xbox. Yeah, um, and and the Switch as well. But like you know, it's coming to everything now, which I didn't think we'd ever get to this point. 
Um, I kind of reserved myself to the fact that like, yeah, we're probably never going to get the like persona or anything, but a PlayStation or a PC. Um, so seeing that pop up was, was rather exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I've been dying for. It's worth mentioning. It's just persona three, four and five. We're getting persona five in October and three and four are coming either. Well, I, I don't actually know if we have a date for them. That might be this year. That might be next year. I think the next year, personally. That was the thing that confused me, though. Like, maybe you guys have some insight or some ideas, but would there be any reason why we're only getting Persona 5 and then 4 and then 3 later on? Like, wouldn't wouldn't it make more sense to just put them all out at once? It's because they're very long games. They're like 80 to 100 hour games. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, it's not, not like a, a normal... I mean, JRPGs are sort of like that, but it's not something you could blast through in 40 hours then. No, they're um, a little visual novelly in a way. So there's a there's a fair bit of dialogue in these. They're they're hefty games. So I don't think it's something that you want to play through. I, I remember playing Persona Five Royale in a week, and I didn't want to play video games for like a week after that. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, they're fun games. I highly recommend them. But, um, yeah, I, I think they're spaced out for a reason. Yeah, that's fair. That makes total sense after explaining that. Um, I've, I've always wanted to play them. Um, my, my partner bought uh, Persona 5 when it was out on the, the PS4. And she also played through Golden on the um, the Vita, if anyone remembers that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I've always been keen on playing them. But, yeah, it... it I guess now, especially now that's coming to the Switch, I've got more of an incentive to, to give it a crack. I think the Switch is the best fit for it. Yeah, because um, that's kind of only my only gaming time at the moment is the Switch on the train. So it's going to be like a year for me to finish just Persona 5 if by going by that 100 hours or whatever. Um, but no, it sounds good. I'm excited. And it's all on Game Pass too. I don't know if it's coming to the cloud, xCloud. But if it is, it would work really well with that too. They're not games that require, you know, finicky controls and quick reflexes. Uh, it's just about a little bit is that also during the E3 message, uh, Hideo Kojima had announced they're going to be making an Xbox game. Um, all we know from the quote here, this is, there is a game I've always wanted to make. Um, I've always, it's a completely new game that no one has ever seen or experienced before. I've waited very long for for today where I could finally start to create it with Microsoft's cutting edge cloud technology and the change in the industry's trend, it has now become possible to challenge myself to make this never before seen concept. I'm excited. I, I like Kojima, but it, like I didn't remember the quote that he put out when this got announced. So you're just reading it then. It sounds like another Kojima sort of thing. Like from memory, he said a very similar thing when, um, uh, what's it? Death Stranding was sort of first getting talked about. Um, I'm still excited. Like, I, I, I'm keen to see whatever he does, um, but I, I have to remember to, to temper my expectations, you know? Um, and with that, let's get on with what we've been playing um, before. So the first game I've actually been playing is Sonic Origins. Uh, this is a compilation of the original four Mega Drive games. 
uh, well, technically three and two halves of one game. Uh, Sonic, Sonic CD, Sonic 2, and then Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Uh, this was developed with the Retro Engine. Uh, that was actually used with the fantastic Sonic Mania game. Uh, with this with this game, there's actually three styles of the way you can play this. It's uh, classic mode. This puts it up as the original 4x3 aspect ratio, uh, just how the games originally were. Anniversary mode. This is actually their widescreen mode, um, and they actually replaced the live system with coins, so you effectively get infinite lives. And then the third option is a story mode that plays the games back-to-back in the anniversary mode. And this is the way that I actually played the game. Uh, new features with this, you can actually play as Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles um, in all the games, except for Sonic CD, uh, no Knuckles in there. Uh, but this has sort of been common with the previous re-releases on like the mobile phone ports. Uh, you also got the drop dash from the anniversary mode from Sonic Mania. Uh, this is done by jumping up then holding jump button down again wet, and then hitting the ground then this forces Jonic to just quickly dash this is used instead of the spin dash uh, so which is basically you know, just holding down just double tapping to get speed up so I played through and actually played through all of these games um, Sonic 1 not really too much to say it's a classic it's a classic uh, it's been ported to literally everything uh, it's even included on the iPod classic uh, that's not the actual iPod touch classic that's the original iPod classic with the actual classic click wheel. Really? Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um <laughs> you should there's a there's a video on there um from Stop Skeletons from Fighting. Fantastic fantastic video about um all the various Sonic ports. It's really interesting how they actually play that. Sorry, I was gonna say I will throw in some support for, I love that that channel. Um especially all the the, the, the port videos and stuff that they do. Uh but no, this place originally like what it was before and yeah, it's Probably not my favorite, but it's very, it's quite good. Uh, then, as I'm playing through, because this plays through each sequential game in the um, in the story mode, the next game is which I would have thought would have been Sonic Two. Uh, it's actually Sonic CD. Uh, this this is an um, in, interesting way because I I knew like apparently that's they were going to make like an enhanced port of the original Sonic game for the the Mega CD. Uh, but they ended up um, after Sonic 2, they just made a brand new game. Um, yeah, uh, this one, yeah, they actually had different soundtracks between the America and U- uh, Japan and Europe. Actually, I'm a heathen. I actually prefer the American soundtrack. It's a bit, it's more more trippy, uh, but I quite like that. This um, this also introduces the character Amy into the series. Uh, this one. Obviously, it plays like the original Sonic game, but it introduces the time tunnel mechanic. So each stage, each stage in a in a section has a past section, a present, and a future. Uh, except for the third stage, which is third stage, which is always the future section. The way you go, you go through a past or future signpost. Uh, speed up at eighty-eight miles per hour or one hundred forty-one kilometers here to get there. Uh, the goal is to get through, go to the past, and destroy all the hidden robot transpond transporters to get to the good future uh and the idea is that you suppose you should be able to do that for all the actual all the past stages so that you get the good ending uh this is i didn't do the good ending i just played through as much as i can um 
I would say this is probably the most frustrating of the titles. Uh, the level design is sometimes really confusing, just going around, just going looped and looped and looping again to trying to get break out of certain sections. Um, Hidden Sages are cool um, when you go ahead and collect 50, 50 rings and go through the end, end, end bit. Uh, going around, it's sort of like a Mode 7 style taking down UFOs. Um, yeah, so yeah, Sonic CD, uh, this was... As I said, this was released on the Mega CD. Uh, probably out of the lot, it's probably the most 90s of, of Sonic's game. It's the Seinfeld Sonic games. The Sonic game Patrick Bateman would own. <laughs> um, then the next one is uh, Sonic 2. This is probably the most beloved of the Sonic titles. This one introduces to Chales, which I'll get into a bit later. <laughs> uh, this one focuses more on the speed uh, just going through blasting through speed rather than platforming. Uh, the special stages are probably the least favorite out of all of them. Uh, going down a pseudo 3D tube, collecting rings and uh, avoiding the spike balls. Uh, amazing uh, with this remake, they actually redo that because it's sort of like a 2D sprite um, animation. Now it's actually like a fully 3D stage, but it's still a bit too slippery for my taste. And <laughs> one of the annoying things with Taylor is that Taylor is always following you. And always a little bit of a lag. So as when you're trying to go around the tube, um, you're trying to collect the rings, they go a bit later. And they steal the rings, uh, which is fine. You know, you, it all tallies up together. But when, they, when you try and avoid a um, spike ball, they usually hit the spike ball and then they lose all their rings. So you gotta, you got to try and make yourself that Sonic is the only one who gets the amount of rings. Uh, but going through the game works fairly well. There was one bug that I did encounter where when you get we go through a stage and you go too fast and uh, tails get lost. Normally in the old games, it sort of kills off tails and then they sort of fly back towards you. But for the same reason, this game didn't do that as much. So you just the tails are just constantly jumping, and so you're going through. So you hear this jump, jump, boing, boing. Really, really frustrating. <laughs> that would be really annoying. Like oh yeah. yeah. I can imagine, like, because I remember playing Sonic Two as a kid, and like when you, he could, when Tails would get stuck, and you could hear his tail whirring for a bit, and you, that would be annoying. But eventually, obviously, you'd hear the, the death noise, and he'd just reappear. Yeah, and this one, you're still going through the level, and um, yeah, it's they're still still going. You sort of like you, you really just have to complete the level or get killed yourself. Uh, but at least this one in the adventure mode, you don't actually lose lives. Uh, this collection is like the mobile phone ports. It has the hidden palace zone originally removed from the Mega Drive version. Um, I can see, yeah, I can see, I know this, I can see why this is probably most people, people's most favorites. Uh, for me, um, that would probably have to be Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Uh, and that's probably the, possibly the most exciting game of the collection. And it is the one that was not often re-released. Uh, originally split up into two games using the lock-on cartridge technology. This selection plays now as if they're both connected together. Uh, this is the one that, in, yeah, this is the one that introduces Knuckles. Um, first one to have a overhaul sprite redesign of the characters. Another change is the actual um, shield that you get. Um, normally, in the original Sonic games, you have you can get a shield to sort of help you avoid uh, get get hit once and not lose your coins. This one has different sort of abilities. One is a fire shield field that uh, you're able to use to dash. One is a water shield that lets you bounce down to jump higher and breathe on the water. And then there's a lightning one that attracts the rings and attracts rings uh, while you go close to them and allows for a double jump. Uh, most notably with this Sonic 3 Knuckles, it's the music that's been changed uh, for the three stages. 
uh, with Mirror Master ones from the beta, that's for the beta versions of the original Sonic 3D Knuckles. Uh, this is all most likely due to uh, Michael Jackson song legalities. Uh, those ones are songs are Carnival Night Zone, uh, Launch Bait Zone, and Ice Cap Zone. That's probably the one that hurts the most. Um, and they're was awful. That, was it? I heard that, like, I think it's just my, my nostalgia kicking in with all that stuff. But I, I heard, it must have been like a Twitter post or something. And it just, oh my God, I just couldn't deal with it. Like, I was like, no, that's not the song. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, I would say they're fine. Yep. Like I didn't, I didn't have too big of a nostalgia for Sonic Three, um, but I do know, like, yeah, uh, Ice Caps was probably the one that hurt. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there's um, a couple ones: the One Up, Invincibility, Mid Boss, Knuckle Seams, and End Credit Seams. They're all changed as well. But the with that, that's actually because when you originally put the lock-on cartridge together, they would actually use the Knuckles portion to change the music, and so because you can't just select the original one anymore, uh, it just sticks. Probably the first time I played the actual, because I dabbled a little bit in the, in the Sonic Three part. But this is the first time I've actually played the knuckle portions, um, sort of lock-on cartridge. Uh, the final two levels are actually pretty good. Uh, the Sky Century and the Doomsday Zone. Uh, they got some great callbacks to the original previous games, and I'd probably say out of the whole collection, this one is probably my favorite. From the collection features themselves, uh, menus are pretty nice. They actually you go around, and each game has their own sort of animated island that you go around here have a look around uh all games have a cinematic cinematic intro and outro uh from the studio who made the sonic mania they're quite they're quite fantastic uh you've got stuff to unlock as standard with most games so you've got movies um artwork and music you unlock these by collecting this so this is the way the coins work. you like this by collecting coins in the anniversary mode and the way this works is that when you in the original games where you would get lives this time you get coins, and so, and so that's how you unlock all the music. Uh, the issue is that you know it takes quite, it can take quite a while. You certainly got you need you hundreds of coins to get unlock everything, but there is actually a way you can get around this. There's a um, in the original Sonic game, there's a cheat menu menu we can go and put a level selector, and then if you put another cheat into there, you can actually unlock a sort of pseudo level editor, which allows you to put any object you want in the game. So what you can do, you can get a flat surface. And put all these lives in, and if it's in the anniversary mode, it'll be coins. So you just put those in, put about thirty coins, run through them, rinse and repeat. And so that was the one I was actually able to, I was able to get unlock everything through that. So I don't know if that's intended or a day it was an oversight. Hopefully they don't patch that. This also game's also got some really weird, well, terrible DLC. Uh, all it is is just backgrounds for the letterbox classic mode. Uh, additional character animations in the menus, some hard missions, and remastered tracks from other Sonic games. Um, so there, that's a that's a really big thing. It's a bit everyone's a bit annoyed about that. Uh, a last bit of thing is that this game also includes uh, additional things. Uh, you've got mission mode, uh, you've got a bus rush mode, and a mirror mode. Um, so yeah, that's um, Sonic Classic Collections. Uh, I would say yeah, I didn't notice too many bugs into the game. Uh, I'm not super nostalgic of them, but I ha- do know how they play, and it seems to run fairly well. There are some annoying issues with it, but I didn't um, get any um, crippling bugs. So yeah, I would say I would I would definitely recommend this. Silver, Silver you've been playing uh, Forza Horizon Five Hot Wheels. How's that going for you? Yeah, uh, just a little bit. Uh, I think this one only came out on the 19th of July. 
Uh, but I picked it up yesterday just because I like toy cars. <laughs> <laughs> it's rad. Um, so Forza Horizon 5 was already a pretty, it's a very nice looking game. It plays well. It's more of an open-world arcade racer rather than the typical Forza Motorsport um, simulators. So it's really fun when they do these expansions where they just have fun with it. So they've had like a... They've done Hot Wheels before in Forza Horizon 3. Uh, for Forza Horizon 4, they did uh, Lego Speed Champions. And now they've brought back the, the Hot Wheels. But they've done it in an interesting way where it's this floating platform gigantic by the way and it has these three sections there's a volcano in icy mountains there's a jungle with waterfalls everywhere and then there's the canyon and there's just these three giant um biomes that are connected by the classic orange hot wheels tracks that are just flying through the air with loop the loops and spirals and corkscrew tunnels and everything it's fantastic uh and forza games like to start off with that um they call it the exhibition race where it just kind of showcases what you're going to be uh going up against and this one starts off with like the the hot wheels launcher the one that makes the cars go really fast but it's life-size with actual cars <laughs> uh it's just awesome they've done a really good job with um I was really surprised. It feels like as if you were driving on plastic. Not that I ever have, but, you know, each terrain type has a different feel to it. And plastic, it doesn't quite feel like ice, but it feels like you have less traction than, um, like, bitumen. It's, it's just uh, fascinating that they've, they've taken the time to actually figure out what driving on giant plastic roads would feel like, and they've nailed it. Exactly. Right? Because you're not going to be able to make this in real life. So it's just fascinating that they've got all the details down. Like, they've got the subsurface scattering on the tracks. So if you look up and look at the orange tracks, they kind of have this glow to them because the sunlight's shining through them. It's just looking up in awe. And then you've got the actual biomes, which are just fully detailed. So, and, and the cool thing is, is that you're not limited to the orange tracks. You can... Some of the races actually take you off-road and use the biomes. So you're driving through, like, the desert or through the jungle or through the ice and snow. Oh, cool. Uh, and you actually get to drive Hot Wheels cars. Uh, the first car that you're um, officially given is the, I think it's called the Bone Rattler. And it's this hot rod Jeep sort of looking thing that has a giant chrome skull on the front. It's so ridiculous but that's kind of the appeal of hot wheels is that they're just cars that you know you'd probably never see in real life unless you go to a place that like does really nice customs but the fact that you get to basically drive around with toy cars that that's awesome to me um and the tracks themselves have all sorts of play features like you got the boost pads you got magnet tracks so you can drive like sideways and through loops and stuff. Uh, you got icy tracks. Um, I even found uh, flumes. So it's just uh, these hot wheel tracks that have water running down them. And that makes it really fun to like drift down. 
Uh, very hard to control though, but still loads of fun. They've really had fun with this one. Um, I'm only one chapter in, I guess you'd say. You, you go through, there's different races to do, but there's also like goals to achieve. Like uh, there are these balloons that you can pop. So one of the challenges was to do that. One of them was really cool where it asked you to, you start at the middle of the um, entire map and then you have to race to one of the toy dragons on on the mountain within a time limit. Uh, that was really fun. So I, I like that it's not just races on there. There's like, you've got the sandbox. I guess you call it a toy box at this point. Just different things that you can do that aren't just limited to like the typical Forza racing. I probably recommend it. Um, I'm only a little bit into it so far. I don't have a huge amount of nostalgia with Hot Wheels. I remember owning some as a kid. Uh, not so much the orange tracks, but I definitely, you know, played with it at like friends places. It feels like a very 90s thing, but apparently it goes way further back. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm having a blast with it so far. Uh, I'm dying to play more, but I have to record this podcast. <laughs> oh. Well, let's go. Well, let's get this all speed up so you can get back to more hot wheels. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, that's actually absolutely fantastic, Brendan. Uh, you've actually been playing some Iron Fury. How's that going? Yeah, it's going good. I finished it. Um, I finished it a little bit ago, but it's kind of been the only game I've been playing since the last time we um were on. So, I full disclosure, I've been playing it on the Switch, um, but I believe it is on the Xbox. It's also on PC as well. Um, I don't think it's on Game Pass or anything, but yeah, I know you can definitely get it on either of those um, and also I think on PS4 as well. Um, but it's good. Um, so, essentially, it is a build engine game. So the build engine was used, um, for those who don't know, for like Duke Nukem 3D, uh, Blood and uh, uh, Shadow Warrior back in the day. So this game published by 3D Realms, so the same people who published all those games, um, and it's using the build engine um, like 20-something years later after the fact, and it's awesome. Um, it, it feels, it's a boomer shooter, but it also got a lot of like hallmarks of newer games as well um but it retains all that soul and style of those games that you played 20 years ago um you play i'll, I'll give the cliff notes version of the story but it's like you play as a character called um bombshell um and she's like a cop in the the future um and you basically just gotta go take on the bad guys and that's pretty much it you just go from like through a giant cyberpunk city um and yeah, that's pretty much it. Use a bunch of guns to, a bunch of cool guns to, to take down people, um, and explore the areas and solve puzzles and stuff. Um, it probably took me about 15 hours or so to get through, which I was kind of surprised with. Um, I thought it was going to be quite shorter, but like I had to look online because I thought I must be getting near the end. And, um, yeah, like I think I was maybe like three, four hours into it. And like, nah, you still got a while to go. I was only like in chapter two of seven or something. So I was like, holy crap. Um, this game is massive and it, it is like, um, the things I really liked about it though, like is, uh, every level has so much character in it. So like the first 
a chapter, you're in a city. So it's like skyscrapers and stuff, sort of like you would see in, um, I don't know, something like pretty much straight out of Blade Runner or something like neon soaked cyberpunk, um, you know, skyscrapers and flying cars. And it's awesome. Um, every level has a lot of like interactivity. Um, the amount of secrets in it are ridiculous, um, as well. So like every, chapter you finish it'll say okay like there was like 400 enemies in this chapter and you killed 300 whatever of them um and then the secrets as well would always be like i'd always find maybe four or five and then there was like 30 in each chapter and it's just like if it if i struggled to find even one secret i'm like how hard is it to find all the other ones um so i really loved all that um not too much enemy variety that's Probably my only complaint, like you fight a lot of the same enemies pretty much the entire game. And it's not till like maybe the last two or so chapters where they start chucking new ones at you, um, which was a little bit disappointing. Um, but the weapon variety sort of made up for that too. Like I never got bored with the combat or fighting those enemies because the weapons were really fun. Um, every weapon has like a main fire and an alternate fire. So for example, your pistol that you start off with, it's like a, a revolver. Um, and you can just shoot it at enemies or you can like hold the alternate fire down and it like, you like sort of do a sweep across enemies and it'll lock on and you'll just shoot two quick bullets at each enemy that you target. Um, so stuff like that. And the same thing with like the shotgun. So the shotgun, for example, doubles as a grenade launcher so it's like you know that in in old school first person shooters you'd have that grenade launcher that's like the six cylinder thing um so it looks like that so you can switch between um putting shotgun shells in it or grenade launcher shells um and it was really fun like i like i said it took me yeah, about 15 hours or so um i never really got bored with it um which was fantastic um, cause that's always the worry I think with some of those games I, that I know, it's just like, well, am I eventually going to get bored with this? Is then are they not going to throw enough stuff at me to, to keep me interested? But, um, no, the, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely worth it. Um, I think I got it on special for maybe about 10 bucks. I think it's usually maybe 20 or so. Um, it's definitely one to look out for. Um, especially if you're a fan of like old school shooters, like boomer shooters. Um, but just, it's just fun in general. Like there's enough new stuff in it, even though it's using a, a game engine that's 20 years old, it's enough new stuff in it that makes it feel really fresh and exciting. Um, I guess that only like comparing it, it's like if you've played Duke Nukem 3D and the amount of interactivity and um, engagement you can have in that game, um, basically it's just that on steroids, like that sort of level design and interactivity. Um, it was really fun though. Like I, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I did, but I, I had a blast with it. No, I've actually, I've actually played that and beaten it, um, as well. Um, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely fantastic game. Yeah. Surprisingly, like I remember when they first announced it, when it was called Ion Maiden before they had to change the name. Um, and I got really excited, um, for it, but then I realized it was coming out later to, to switch and stuff. So I just sort of forgot about it until, I was just looking through the sales recently. I'm like, oh, that's right. That that looks fun. I've got to pick that up. And yeah, I'm glad I did. Next game I was playing, um, I actually, this is for the Capcom Arcade Stadium 2. So this is sort of a collection of old classic uh, Capcom games uh, from the arcade. 
they originally did this one a while ago, but obviously Capcom Arcade Stadium one, they've done another one. Uh put quite a few more games on there. I went ahead and went through that and I pl- I picked out three of the games. So first one three three games I did were the Hyper Street Fighter 2 the Anniversary Collection. Uh this one actually got there's actually another Capcom full on Capcom fighting collection. Uh which actually has like um five Dark Skorker games, two Gem Fighter games, uh Hyper Street Fighter 2 uh, and then I believe Red Earth and Cybots. Um, so out of that, I actually mostly focus on the Hyper Street Fighter 2, the Anniversary Collection. And then the ones I actually got from the Capcom Arte Stadium 2, because you actually can buy these separately or in a bundle. Um, the actual other two arcade games I got were the Mega Man games. So Mega Man The Power Battle, and then Mega Man The Power Fighters. So Hyper Street Fighter 2, the Anniversary Collection... Uh, this was originally released back in 2003 on the arcade system and also PlayStation 2 and X- Xbox to celebrate the 15-year anniversary of the series. So next year, it's going to be 35 years. Wow. <laughs> this effectively plays like the uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. However, in this one, you're actually able to select your character not only, not only from the roster, but actually from the which original game. So you can do these from the original Street Fighter 2, uh, the Championship Edition, the Hyper Fighting, which I know that's Turbo from the Super Nintendo, uh, Super Street Fighter 2, and then Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. That's that's awesome. So, like, what you can have, like, you know, like, in the same way you would have, like, maybe, oh, Ryu from the original Street Fighter 2 versus, like, maybe Ryu from Hyper, you know, where they do adjustments and balance it out and stuff to see which ones. That is awesome. Yeah, exactly. That's the sort of the way that it works. And so, yeah, going that so you got the changes like say, uh, like say, if you want to se- you, you select the actual like original game itself, and then you select the character. So, say if you selected the original Street Fighter Two, you can't select any of the um, the newer characters, uh, Cammy, T Hawk, Fei Long, and DJ, because they weren't. All oh, right. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, and that, and then even from that, if you, it's the original Street Fighter Two, you can't select any of the boss characters. Right. Um, so Balrog Vega, yeah. So basically, you have to actually you you select the actual start, you select the speed, then you select the game style, then you select the character. So it goes it goes there. Actually, I remember playing this back back in two thousand three on the PlayStation two. It would be for an Xbox as well. They actually had um, you can actually have um, sort of the original CPS two um, music, which is what what the Super Street Fighter two and Turbo music was. A remix one, um, and then also the original CPS one music, which is sort of like the original Street Fighter two, and so. But it would also do that with the original, with the like new tracks for Cami and the new characters. So that was interesting, quite interesting how that those songs would have played out. Um, yeah, so you can actually do that, and so basically, yeah, you can you can put your dream match. The only issue uh, is that you can really only do that dream match if you're playing with the second person. So two people can select their own um, sort of fighting style and then play the actual uh, the character they want. If you're trying to do it with the CPU itself, it won't let you can select the ones you want, but the CPU has to be Super Street Fighter Two Turbo, which is annoying. Um, so you can't do your like your, uh, your dream matchup on a CPU. Uh, I tried to actually sort of get around this though because this collection would have had training mode. So I thought, okay, what I can do, I can do this in training mode. 
I can set it to the CPU just acts as normally. I can set all the health bar to act normally, but then I can actually select the character. You can, you can do that, but to actually get the CPU to act like a, like a normal CPU, it has to be turbo. If you select any other styles, it only goes as um, only goes as uh, like only you can only have it standing or crouching, so like a normal training mode. So that was annoying. I tried, I try, I tried to cheat the system, but it didn't work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the actual Capcom Fighting Collection itself is actually pretty nice. It's got online play with uh, rollback netcode for all all of the games, not just a selection of games. Uh. Yeah, you can select the original vert. You can select the English version or the Japanese version. Two of the, um, sorry, two of the Dark Stalker games only work out as um, you can only do them as Jap- a Japanese, so it works out well. Um, and it's got like a you can got nice lot artwork and music to view. So yeah, um, Capcom Fire Collection. Yeah, so that's why I did Hyper Street Fighter two that through that, and then the actual Capcom. Arcade Stadium 2, this is the one we can actually select the individual games. That's where I did the Mega Man arcade games. So these were released back in... Power Battle was released back in 1995 and Power Fires was released back in 1996. I'm just going to refer to these as Mega Man 1 and Mega Man 2. Uh, just so I'm not saying Power Battle and Power Fighters constantly. Um, uh, these, are the, yeah, these are arcade versions of the boss battles from the original Mega Man games. Uh, you can play as multiple characters, uh, Mega Man, Proto Man, which was introduced in Mega Man 3, base from Mega Man 7. And in Mega Man 2, you can you can play as Duo, who originally came from Mega Man 8. Uh, this game can also be played like any other arcade game as two players. So you can have <coughs> two people fighting the same boss, which is pretty cool. These are in the Mega Man 7 art style. Uh, Mega Man 1 follows the traditional formula with being able to select a, cor- a course fighting six bosses each. So first course is the bosses from Mega Man 1 and 2. Second one is from 3 to 6. And then the third one is from Mega Man 7, which is when this the first arcade game was released. Mega Man 2, um, it sort of mixes up and sort of has like an individual story. So the first one is you search for Dr. Wily. And the second one, you rescue Roll, Mega Man's sister. And then the other one, last one, is uh, recovered in new parts. Uh, standard Mega Man gameplay, you fight the boss, acquire the weapon, and then use those weapons to take down other bosses quicker, depending on the weapon, sort of like a, a, was it a uh, rock, paper, scissors scenario. Uh, change in A uh, little bit of a change up in the Mega Man 2 one, which is after the boss is defeated, uh, it drops... It's supposed to hold, drops a whole bunch of items, like so you can replenish your health and replenish your weapon ammo, and it only has one, um, like one weapon. So if you're playing the Mega Man Two, only one person can actually pick up a weapon, which means the actual other person is left out of that weapon. Uh, but the your, your standard shots do pretty well. Um, uh, after the boss is defeated, you fight a sub boss. Um, all of them are the Yellow Devil in Mega Man One game. The Mega Man 2 changes up with the Yellow Devil, the Roller Robot, and the Mecha Dragon from Mega Man 2. Um, then you fight, last bit, you fight Wily the big, big Mecha, big machine. Uh, after destroying the machine, there's a 10 second final countdown where you try to sort of try to hunt Wily because Wily's just zipping around the place. You don't actually have to defeat Wily, but you get bonus points if you actually defeat them. Um, I really like the I really like the music in this game, especially the ones from uh, 
Mega Man Tactics uses a CPS2 um, engine, which is cool. Um, if you want to get these games individually, they're about $6. Uh, there's 30 games in the Capcom Arcade Stadium 2, and they end up being about, the whole package is about uh, $52. Um, it's not a feature, the uh, backend content is not a feature rich. Uh, you don't get, there's no online play or arcade or music, which is really annoying because I remember like the actual original arcades, you sort of had like dip switches and you can go into the back end menu. This is where you actually select, you know, what difficulty is on, you know, if it's free play or how many coins equal how many tries you can get. I remember all these CP1 one, uh, Capcom arcade games that used to have um, music players. So you can actually go ahead and view the sprite work and actually view, play the music. So it was actually pretty cool, but um, I guess they don't have that in this collection, which is a shame, but yeah. Yeah, so yeah, if you want to get try those games, um, yeah, they're on the um, Capcom Arcade Stadium 2. All right. Um, Sylvia, you've been playing some Fall Guys. How's that going? Well, I know you have been too. I, oh, yeah, <laughs> but I want to get your opinion. Your thoughts on it. <laughs> no, no, of course, uh, of course. Yeah, we, we've all been playing it, yeah. Um, so I played this way back when, when it first came out, um, kind of fell off it after the first season, which I think was like medieval castle based, but now that it's gone free to play, I thought pick it up again. There was a cross promotion with Fortnite and yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with it again. Um, there's a ton of content because just simply because I've not played it for like a year or however long it's been since it it's been out. So if you're somehow unfamiliar with Four Guys, first of all it's free to play, so just download it and play it. But the general gist of it is it's a 60 player battle royale themed after those sorts of um reality game shows. I don't know what you'd call them, but they're based on like I think there's like American Ninja and Takeshi's Castle. I think Japanese game shows are the one is is the comparison that comes to mind for me. But basically you get if you get eliminated, you know, everyone else keeps going, but you can drop out and find another game. And the last person to survive wins. Uh and you get prize money. I, I think they're called kudos in the game. That you can use to spend on um like cosmetics and stuff for your little bean character. Everyone's a little bean. But yeah, it's just been interesting coming back to it after so long. I remember when I was playing it last, Crowns, which you got for winning first place. That was like the premium currency that you used for cosmetics, but it was really hard to get because you'd have to come in first place. Uh, they've changed that system entirely. You get more crown stuff for winning but you can also uh beat challenges and the like to earn like crown shards which can be used to create crowns after you collect a certain amount uh the battle pass is here it's very familiar if you've ever played a game with a battle pass you play games you earn xp you level up you unlock stuff so Fall Guys is owned by Epic Games now, and that very much shows in the shop. But I expected it to kind of show in the uh, Battle Pass as well. But the Battle Pass is just a classic linear 
route, whereas Fortnite is a uh, you get to choose what order to unlock stuff in. But for the actual gameplay, um, it's very simple to play, but hard to master. It's like a classic 3D platformer. You got your run, you got your jump, you got your dive. So, you know, midair, you can um, extend your jump or just kind of, you know, just make it over the line, that sort of thing. Um, and then you've got your grab as well. So you can be really awful to other players and kind of grab onto them so they can't run as fast and get them hit by obstacles or stop them from making a jump and stuff like that. It's really annoying the ones you go walking out, they just wait at the end line and try and grab you. Yeah, they, I don't know why they do that. It's so pointless. I'm surprised they haven't actually implemented something where if you're in that section, you can't... If It, it, it would be easy to see what they're actually doing, sort of like take them off. Like they automatically lose or just force them back onto the actual um, win. I don't know. It, at the end of the day, it's not that game-breaking. It's just annoying. The answer, the, honestly, I'm sitting here and listening. The answer is legitimately just... People are dicks. That's that's it. That there's <laughs> yeah. People like to ruin other people's fun. Yeah, but it it's not even ruining fun. It's just annoying. Like you can just run past them. What, what? It's like why are you putting all this effort into being a troll? Yeah, just go over the finish line. I I have seen several times where people have done that and then they've had it done back to them, and then they lose. So. <laughs> You know, every now and then they get their comeuppance. I've got to say, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's just they've been playing that. Uh, the most annoying stages for me are the ones that involve having to jump through a ring. Yeah. Yeah, there are different kinds of games, and that seems to be one of the major genres is different stages where you have to jump through a certain amount of rings to qualify. Um, there's one that's an, on an ice-themed level where you've got, like, bronze, silver, and gold rings, and they all have different point values. You have to get to 15. And there's a lot of sliding and not a lot of control over where you can go. So that gets annoying. I like the ones where you just... It's just, it's just, it's a, just a straight run-through, just, like, doing two loops, yeah. two, two laps around. Like the gauntlets. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. You, you yeah. Yeah. Got to avoid obstacles. Got to avoid you know all the plastic hammers hitting you, or try and use them to propel you forward. Yeah, the the gauntlet ones are probably my favourite ones, where it's just like a race to the end, and there's different types of obstacles. Um, like the fake doors one is always fun, where there's a um a series of, yeah. it's just a straight sprint, but there's a series of doors. Um, you can run through like maybe one or two of them and the rest of them are all fake and you'll just bounce off them yeah people just bounce like hitting you, you sort of hold back and you're watching all the people in front just hitting hitting, hitting the walls and it's like okay i'll choose that one <laughs> and and then um also the other one uh the one where you got like a whole platform like a whole platform full of squares and you got a most of them are fake you'll fall through but there's like one part and you see everybody's just going up just all going in together and just this one person is just daring to just Go on the next next bit, and then if that's successful, everyone goes onto that. Yeah, so you have to find like the path of solid tiles throughout this kind of grid of them, um, and people will kind of edge up to the 
the last known tile and try and push somebody else onto the next tile to see if it's solid as well. Yeah, that one's fun. Um, I tend to have the most stress with the um, hexagon style ones where it's just a platform of um, hexa hexagonal tiles that will disappear after a short amount of time that you stand uh, on yes. them. Yeah. And there's a whole different bunch of layers of them. So your goal is to stay up near the top for as long as possible and hope that everyone runs out of tiles and falls in. Yeah, especially that last one, the, one of the ones, the last one where you sort of like, everyone's just going down one level. You got to try and get, stay up as top as much as you can. Yeah. You have to kind of get the timing right and just kind of like jump from tile to tile. But yeah, it's free to play now and it's cross play on everything. Um, it uses the same sort of infrastructure as Fortnite. So you do need an Epic account to use the crossplay feature, I believe. Interesting. Oh, so it's interesting because like we, we originally got that on Steam. And and so we when we go in, it's like now when you load it up through Steam, it then loads up the Epic Games launcher. Yeah. Um, on PC, yeah, it's a bit annoying. But um, luckily, if you've been playing Fortnite or Rocket League on your Xbox or whatever console, really, it should just log you in with the same account. So no fussing about that. But, uh, yeah, it's free to play. Why not? Give it a shot. See if you like it. That's it. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, uh, and Brendan, you've been playing, going uh, with your adventures with the Xbox Cloud Gaming on your phone. How's that going? Yeah, it's going all right. Um, so I haven't really tried it out outside of home. I've just sort of been sitting um, at home at the moment, like in this, the spare sort of moments we get, um, just messing around with it because i think you've talked about it might have talked about it last episode or maybe the episode before scott um where you were talking about how you'd sort of been messing around with the xbox cloud um and i've been messing around with it too on the actual xbox on my xbox one um playing things like hitman 3 and stuff um but i figured okay well that's just the xbox console like sure that's obviously going to work well what does it look like on a phone um, so for about the past week or so, I've just been sort of messing around with it and I'm genuinely surprised at how well it works. Um, I've got my Xbox controller hooked up to my phone. I, I've got an Android phone. Um, so I've just been sort of messing around with that. So I was in bed last night, um, playing Yakuza Zero on my phone and I felt like, I felt like a little kid again, um, with my Game Boy, like sitting in bed playing video games under the covers that sort of thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't really have too much else to say about it, honestly, except for it works really well. Like I'm, I was always skeptical about it. Um, obviously having a good connection to whether you're at home or out is going to be the main thing. Like with MBN in Australia, like it's, it is getting better. Um, I played maybe about half an hour of Yakuza zero last night and didn't really notice any noticeable lag. Um, and I'm, I'm keen to try it out on the train um, just to see how that goes. Because um, if that's the case, then I'll be playing a lot more Xbox games. But um, basically anything that you can play on the 
Xbox under the cloud, um, you can play on your phone. Um, and the best part is too, a lot of the games seem to support touchscreen controls, which isn't the most optimal way to play, but, um, it is an option. So like if you're playing an RPG or something, you know, like that'd be great. But if you're going to be playing something a bit more action intensive, like Yakuza, um, which does offer the touchscreen controls, um, it's probably not the way to go. It's like I gave it a crack with just touchscreen controls and it's not the way to play the game. Um, but the fact that the option is there is fantastic. Um, and I, I guess as we move forward with all this technology, especially the cloud and stuff and phone coverage gets better and faster and, you know, um, streaming is a, a better option for people. Like I could totally see myself playing games on my phone on the train or elsewhere just, just cause, you know. Yeah. It's just, just be really good. How, how far. It's able to go. Um, Absolutely. That's, that's, that's awesome. You're actually able to play like Xbox Series S and X games on your Xbox One. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I just was honestly so surprised. Like, yeah, I, like I said, I, I thought it would still be a far cry from where they want it to be. And obviously with internet in Australia, um, at the best of times, it can be really terrible, um, you know, uh, even with high-speed internet. Um, and the fact that I was able to play it so well and so seamlessly, I was like, yeah, this is definitely an option. And the last game um, I'm just going to discuss is uh, Power Wash Simulator. Uh, this is on Game Pass. Uh, this has been developed by uh, Futur Lab and published by Square, the Square Enix Collective. Um, this is a so this is a first person game set in the town of Muckington, working for a small power washing business. And so, obviously, from the title. Uh, you're simulating um, doing power washing. So you're going ahead and you're washing things like you're washing cars, you're washing uh, bicycles, you're washing houses, backyards, that sort of thing. Um, so I started the game and the first job you've got to do is to clean your van. Um, so it's a pretty standard standard um, controls. Uh, walk around, use the right trigger to release, release the water. Uh, you change different nozzle types. Um, you, uh, the first nozzle is sort of uh, on point, um, so like a, a, sh- a short spray, short hard impact spray. Each additional no- nozzle opens the spread uh, more, covering more area, but not as powerful, powerful, having to get in closer and to apply more pressure. And you can change the direction to that, so it can be sort of a horizontal line or a vertical line. Uh, top left, uh, you say the first stage is going around and click as they try and clean your truck. Sorry, your, your truck. And so you're going around just trying to clean the windows, trying to clean the doors. Um, top left of the screen shows how much dirt, how much each area you're cleaning up, you're cleaning uh, as in bar. Um, so you go around just cleaning like wheel, wheel window, front grill, back grill. Uh, as you're going around, you need to to get effective. It actually separates it per each section, and so you need to clean 99% of each section. So it doesn't have to be 100%. So you every little bit of spots, it'll sort of once it determines it's like ninety nine percent, it'll just say, okay, that's clean. Actually, takes it off, but it does need to be a fair amount that you need to take in. So um, to get through each every spot, you can um, actually you standard standard sanding, but then you can also crouch, and then you could also prone, so you can actually get underneath um, sections, so you get the hard to reach areas. You earn cash for each section of a job done. Uh, once. Once you go ahead and um, clean clean your truck, it actually has like a little like mono like a 
a time lapse montage of what you your character actually cleaning the um cleaning the car, which is actually pretty cool. It's a little funny thing. Uh, use your you, as I say, you go ahead, you earn money for your for your jobs. Uh, use that money to upgrade your equipment. Uh, the power washers, which is sort of the gun you use to clean your equipment. Um, you clean. You got various clean wickets, clothing, and personal bots. Uh, next job that I did was to clean a back garden. You go in and the gut, back gun is absolutely filthy, just gunk everywhere. So, I mean, there's gunk on the walkway, fence and fence posts, the patio, tear tables, an umbrella, garden steps, shed, mower, child's toy car that they ride around in, a birdhouse, a barbecue, and a swinging chair. And so you have to go and you have to clean everyone a bit, bit of it. Uh, you're actually able to, you, uh, during the game, you actually get an AOE nozzle. So... By itself, it doesn't actually do anything, but you use that in conjunction with cleaning wickets. They work on certain surfaces, so you get ones for, like, say, like glass or metal or plastic, stone. And so, basically, it, you use that. It costs money to get these cleaning wickets. I think like ten dollars each time, but just allows you to clean the area at a quicker pace. Um, you're actually able to use um, if you're not too sure about where, uh, how much dirt you've actually cleaned off an area. You're actually able to uh, click a button and actually. Highlights it in bright orange just to show you how much you haven't done. Um, so I did that. I cleaned everything. Uh, next stage I did was a house. Uh, again, absolutely filthy. I don't know how these people <laughs> sort of live like this. Um, but you next you need to get uh, that one. It teaches you you need to get on the roof. Uh, so it teaches you, okay, there's a ladder there. You can actually pull up the hammer, put it down, and actually climb up on the roof. Um, so I did that. You have to go in, use the clean, clean the windows and gutters with different nozzles. So you have to make sure you have to get the on-point nozzle to get the clean the gutter. Uh, each job takes um, quite a bit time to complete. I would probably say well over half an hour to do each job if you want to do all of it. Um, as I say, you could use a cleaning liquid, use money to do it quicker. Uh, but it's, it's there's something, something satisfying about um, just going in and using the controller to actually. Um, Actually, clean something like um, using the analog stick to just go perf- somewhat perfectly horizontal and vertical up a wall to clean to clean it. Um, but yeah, that's um, that is Power Power Watch Simulator, and that is on Game Pass. So I believe it'll be um, PC and Xbox. And so the final thing we're just going to do today, we've got another fun topic that we'd like to discuss. Um, Brendan suggested this. Uh, the worst games uh, that are out there that you we all seem to love. So, Brendan, I'll let you go first. What's a game that's absolutely dog, uh, but you absolutely love? Okay, so my one is, and it's funny because it's awful, but sort of like... In the way that, like, I, okay, so admission, I, I love awful things. Like, my one of my favorite movies is The Room, and that's obviously renowned as, a, as an awful, awful movie, but I just love, I love it so much. Um, like, I love how bad it is, and, and that's my enjoyment out of it. Um, and there's a game, I wouldn't call it The Room, but it's very, it's made by one guy. Um, it's called uh, Wrestling Empire. Um, I think it's it, it's definitely on PC because that's where I played it the most. Um, it's also I believe on the Switch as well, and it's like a 3D wrestling game made by this one guy um, called M Dicky, 
And he's made other games as well called uh, like Hard Times, which is like a prison simulator thing. Um, he's also made a game called I Am Jesus Christ or something oh, okay. or, or the New Testament. Yeah, the New Testament. Um, and it's like you're, you're not Jesus. You're like a, a just another person in biblical times. Um, and you get like magic powers and stuff like that and, and try to be a savior as well. Um, but he's, it, it's, they're all using the same game engine. Um, and they're all clunky as crap. Like if you go on YouTube, like you'll see videos and stuff of all these, these games. But Wrestling Empire is amazing. It's, um, it doesn't play well at all. Like it's really, really janky. Um, but there's so much care and effort put into it at the same time and like love that it's genuinely endearing when you play it. Um, and knowing one guy has done all of this effort into this game is incredible. Like I'll give you, I'll give you a good example of just how janky it is, but it was fun. So I, in the game, like you, you make your character and you go into like a wrestling league and stuff and you sort of just work your way up into higher leagues and stuff like that. And eventually I, I was in one wrestling federation where we had a, a tables match for the, the, the championship. And if you don't know what a tables match is, essentially first person to get put through a table is the loser um, and the other person wins. So we'd set up a table like on the outside of this ring, um, but then the table got clipped and stuck in the in the actual ring itself, like on the on the side. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just jump on the table and just see if like, you know, we can get it unstuck or whatever. <laughs> and then my character walked into the ring, like straight through the ropes and the other guy that was I was fighting jumped um, to attack me and then fell through the table and broke it and I won. <laughs> it's like no no other game. Like it's it's as bad as like remember when WWE 2K20 came out and everyone was like, holy crap, this is awful. And that was made by a, a big team of people. Yeah. Like that's unforgivable. But for something like Wrestling Empire, where it's made by one guy, you can't help but laugh. Um, the game randomly throws stuff at you that just doesn't make sense. Like, um, I got offered to wrestle oh, a guy okay. for a title and then the next week I got told I wasn't taking enough matches. So they took the opportunity away for me, even though I'd wrestled every week. Like it's just randomly generated. Um, so that's one of the games I love. That's just, it's, it's weird cause it's got good reviews, but I wouldn't call it a good game. The enjoyment comes from the enjoyment doesn't come from the actual. I don't even know how to word it. The enjoyment comes from how much effort you want to put into it, really. So if you don't want to take it seriously or whatever, and you're just like whatever, like you're not going to enjoy it. But when you really get into it and you embrace how wacky and crappy it is, like it's genuinely fun. But anyone who walk, would walk past it would look at it and go, "That's an awful game. Like, why do you even want to play that?" Fantastic. How about you, Sylvie? So my pick is more of a game that I think it's a good game, but everyone thinks it's a bad game, or at least most people do. Uh, Mirror's Edge. Oh. The new one or the, the, the old one? No, the original. The original is one of my favorite all-time games. And whenever I bring that up in a, a lot of conversations, people will say that's a terrible game. Why do you like it? Uh, it was critically successful, but I think among players, it just 
it was too new and weird for the time. Um, it's just, it's meant to be pure parkour. You can hold and shoot guns in this, but you're kind of penalized for doing so. Uh, it limits your run speed and your ability to climb up ledges and stuff. I think that's why it got panned is because people just really wanted to play a shooter. Um, it also made a lot of people motion sick. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, my, my number one thing in a game is how fun is it to move through the world? Those are my favorite games. It is movement interesting, like Jet Set Radio Future, Doom Eternal, Mirror's Edge. They're all, they all got unique and fun ways of moving through the game world. And uh, this is no different. For me, um, this is probably more of a nostalgia trip because this was my really my first PC game that I ever well, had the family owned and beaten. Uh, it's a Bethesda game, and that is the Terminator Future Shock. This was released, I believe, back in 1995. I got this back in 1996. And if you can imagine, with the quality of some Bethesda titles and how they operate. Imagine that from a couple of decade, decades ago. So this was um, this is a fully polygonal 3D engine game uh, before Quake. And it runs absolutely like do- absolute, like an absolute dog. It's um, basically you just get going around, you're sort of you're in the future, you're going around trying to hunt down Terminator, like sorry, escape from Terminators. Uh, and it is janky as all hell. You've got enemies that are literally just clipping through not only the walls, but the floor. This is one enemy that's a, it's annoying side because it's actually sort of like a little remote uh, rocket launcher type enemy. And it's actually going up and down. You're trying to go through all these corridors and then all of a sudden this thing just, just pops its little head, head out from the from the floor and just tries to shoot, just tries to shoot you and it gets you. And it's like, um, holy, holy dooly. And, um, yeah, this is a game that's um, it may, it may have been like I wouldn't say well received back then, but it's just it's just one of the games. that's just like completely you got your classics like Doom and Duke Nukem. Yeah, they've got they've got some quality to them. Um, they can you can just pick them and play them well. Terminator Future Shock. This this is like the same engine that was back in the Elder Scrolls Daggerfall. Um, so this is sort of like this is where I coined the term Bethesda climbing because you can sort of like hug a wall and try and climb up as high as you can, um, and then <laughs> and towards the end of the final level, you just try and go and try and you go through and try and save the game, and then I must have got one save, and I don't know what happened, but every time I load the save now, it crashes, it crashes the entire game. Not only does it crash the entire game because I'm still doing this through DOSBox. It, cra- it cra- doesn't just crash the entire game. It crashes DOSBox and it crashes Windows. That's how bad it, that how bad it gets. I have to restart the entire. I have to restart the entire computer. Wow! Wow! <laughs> That's insane. And they, I, I will say, Bethesda have gotten a bit better with their games. I was just watching a video of it as you were talking about it because I'd heard of it before. But when you said Bethesda, I'm like, all right, I've got to give it a quick look it doesn't look too terrible but like especially when you're looking at it through the eyes of well how old were you in 96 i was i would have been six seven years old i would have loved it back then but yeah i don't think i'd be able to get too far in it now 
No, it, it looks all right, um, considering back in the day, but it pl- doesn't. It, it's floaty controls, like sort of like you're strafing, <coughs> at like t- at like tiny speeds. Yeah, but I was just gonna say, I guess. Yeah, like I guess that's the thing with those bad games, though. Like, if you enjoy it, is it a bad game? Like, you know, like I, I love Wrestling Empire. It's not a great game, but I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. You know, like does that make it a bad game? Like, you know. A bad game would be something that you get no enjoyment out of, right? Sort of a so bad, so bad it's good scenario. Yeah, because even with with Mirror's Edge, like I really enjoyed that. Like I I bought that in a Steam sale years ago because my my usual progression with PC games is um, I'll buy a bunch of crap on Steam and then realize it doesn't work with my computer, and then I'm like, okay, well I'll just play it in five years and. I always wanted to play Mirror's Edge, and when I finally got around to it, I was like, this is really fun. Um, and, like, you know, I don't know if you guys do it, but you go online to see what everyone else thinks. And, yeah, it was quite divisive, the the opinions that I saw. Um, you know, like, a lot of people seem to enjoy it, but at the same time, um, yeah, there was a bunch of people that were like, well, I want to shoot guns more. I want to do this and that. And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, for Mirror's Edge, I never thought that was the point. Yeah. Like, the way I always saw it was the guns were just there you know they were they were just there like as if it was like a bullet point like not an actual part of the gameplay mm. yeah um i mean there are some objectively bad games out there games that barely run games that are really bad with um player direction yeah, yeah. but there can still be fun to be had in them i guess that that's talking more like mechanically bad but when it comes to the subjective side of games, yeah, everyone has different tastes. Uh, I know a lot of people hated Death Stranding. I adore it. Um, and again, it's that traversal system. It's interesting. It makes yep. walking interesting. Um, but people just reduce it to walking. And I, I think that's unfair, personally. Absolutely. I think that a lot of the time with that sort of stuff too, um, I guess Cyberpunk's a good example now I'm thinking about it. Like, you know, like people set up their expectations so high for that stuff. So when it doesn't match the, the expectation that they've created in their head, it's a bad game. Like Death Stranding, like Death Stranding was, came out and no one really knew what to expect, but, but because people just went, oh, it's a Kojima game, it, it has to be good, you know, and it wasn't what they got, like what they wanted out of a Kojima game. They're like, that's a bad game. Um, like I haven't played it too much, but I'm I'm fascinated by it. Like, and to the point that I haven't read any um, reviews, or I haven't read any, um, you know, spoilers or anything like that. I, I eventually, when I do get around to playing it at some point in the future, like I want to go in blind and enjoy it for what it is. Um, you know, but like, yeah, I I don't think, uh, yeah, like we were saying, there are some games that are objectively bad and like not redeeming at all. Um, but I think especially in this day and age, everyone's expectations get sent so high with so many opinions that you can read now, like, you know, um, uh, it's just a struggle. Like as soon as someone says it's a bad game, you're like, yeah, that is a bad game. But it's like, no, (laughs) that's your opinion. You know, it's just, it's too loud sometimes, I think. Um, and when you go against the grain and say like, oh, no, I don't think it's a bad game. You get dogpiled on, especially if you go online, you know? Like, if you were to go online when, um, 
Death Stranding came out. Sylvia and we're like this game I really enjoyed and everyone's like no like what's wrong with you blah 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 and you just get yelled at yeah that's frustrating don't do that yeah everyone just just, <laughs> just shut up everyone everyone shut up yeah there are ways of expressing opinions that don't have an absolute tone to them yeah um I didn't like this game or this game could have been better in this regard yep uh, not just this game is awful. Don't play it. Yeah. Um, that's not productive. No, not at all. If you're the sort of person who buys games based on reviews, my recommendation is to look at the track record of the reviewer. See if you agree with most of their tastes. See if you match up. It might be us. It might be someone else. That's totally fine. We're all different. But... You know, and, and read the reviews as well. Don't look at the score. Don't look at the, the dot points, even. Uh, unless you really trust a reviewer and you just want a quick yes or no. But still, if it's a new reviewer or if it's for a game, like a genre that the reviewer hasn't done before, maybe, you know, it, it, you should base recommendations on if you have similar tastes to the person giving the recommendation. Mm. Um, then They're not absolute and I think that there's a lot of discourse around um, games journalists these days because uh, they'll complain that, oh, the reviewer gave it a bad score even though they didn't do all the side quests. Um, they don't have a lot of time to do that. And you have to consider that these game reviewers, a lot of the time they're playing games as the typical gamer, the one that isn't going to put 120 hours into the game. Exactly right. So, you know... Again, there, there might be a reviewer out there that will do the entire game. Like, there's the completionist off the top of my head. See what those sorts of reviewers say about the game that you want to play. It's it's funny you bring that point up, because I was talking with uh, one of my, my friends recently. We were, we were sort of discussing reviews and that. He'd, he'd been playing something recently. He's like, I don't get why everyone's crapping on it. And there's a really good... Uh, just a jump into another realm here of entertainment but um jay-z was talking about like when one of his albums came out and like people had reviews up hours after the album had dropped and it's like how can you form these like complete thoughts about this work of art or whatever hours after this thing comes out like you don't have enough time like i know and using the music analogy is probably a good thing like an album comes out and you listen to it and you're like, oh, that was good. Um, I didn't like this song or, you know, I didn't really get this song, blah, blah, blah. And then you go back and listen to it like a couple of days later and you're like, oh, okay, now this song's clicking with me. Like, I understand this. And, you know, like, I appreciate what it is, you know, what that song is for it, whatever it is. You know, like, you, you these people that come out with the reviews like straight away or, you know, they've only played the game for a couple of days or whatever. Like, you've got no time to let these ideas and thoughts gestate into something that's a bit more fully formed, you know? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I was just going to mention the Doom Eternal thing where everyone bags on game journalists yeah. in that um, fandom. And it's very frustrating because I'm not a game journalist anymore, um, but I, I've written reviews. The, the thing that gets me with that one is that every games journalist, quote unquote, gave it a good review. Like, Doom Eternal was very critically successful. Very critically successful. Yeah. So, you can't win. 
<laughs> anyway. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly. Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining in on episode 37 of The Power of X. Thank you, Sylvie. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And we will catch up with you all next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Power of X. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out the other shows on the Game Podular Network and Focus and Play State. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at Game Podular for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. The details for both are on our website. Thanks. This episode was edited by me, and you can follow me on Twitter at the Scotty J Man. You can also follow Sylvia on Twitter at STWTWO and catch the Channel 17 Twitch streams at Sylvie Tory. And you can follow Brendan on Twitter at Shiggy Ninty and catch his Twitch streams at Shiggy Ninty as well. Thanks for listening. <laughs>